And welcome to Talk to Talk. I am Buzz Eisenberg. And I'm Bill Newman. You know, Brian Adams, the uh, professor emeritus from Greenfield Community College, a scientist who headed the department up there and who taught sustainability to so many people over so many years. Bill Newman, he always brings things to us. He brings experts to us about things that we just don't know much about. And today he's bringing Maggie Damore. He's bringing... How much do you know about how supermarkets think about sustainability, local agriculture? Don't you wonder? Don't you need some education? I think it depends on the supermarket, but I'm willing to hear and anxious to hear a lot. Well, I know nothing about it. So you've got one moderate intelligence and one idiot that you're talking to here. No, that is not true at all. Everybody here is as smart as whips. As they say, which is kind of a weird saying. Is yeah, that right? I, I wonder I, I, what is it? What's a dumb whip? I mean, <laughs> or an, ing, an whip. ignorant whip? Yeah. my hand is up. So, uh, Maggie Demore, thank you so much for being with us. Thank uh, you today. for having me. Maggie is one of the Demores of Demore Big Y. Been around since not Maggie, but her family since the 1940s, uh, opening a small store in Chicopee. Now expanding over the last uh, um, 60, 70, 80 years. Uh, to twenty to seventy one stores, right, Maggie? Yeah. Uh, throughout Massachusetts and Connecticut, and anywhere else? Nope, just Mass and Connecticut. Mass and Connecticut, seventy one stores. You know, we talk a lot on this show about food, uh, where it's grown in the valley, how important the production of food is to all of us, uh, the strategies that go into uh, responsible food production. Uh, but never on my show, at least, have we talked about the selling of food in the grocery stores. And they are not, they are so important in terms of promoting sustainability and doing it right, getting us food that is healthy and safe and also hopefully uh, eco friendly. So, Maggie, I want to start with the fact that uh, Big Y was one of the first chains to really start a campaign to buy local food. Uh, which is really important. And we have a wonderful organization, CESA, out there, community involved in sustaining agriculture with their Be a Local Hero campaign, which I love. <laughs> you know, I want to be a hero. What do I have to do? Buy local food. I can do it. Uh, <laughs> so can you talk a little bit about Big Y's uh, impact on farming, on local farmers, and how you support local farmers by buying local food? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think... Um our commitment to local is probably one of our biggest um, sustainability initiatives. It's um, something that, because of our size, you know, we're, we're locally owned. We're based, you know, our headquarters are right in Springfield, Mass. Um, we're able to really identify those local farms and um, have those direct relationships with those farms and those people, those suppliers, that we can really leverage that to, to source a lot of local food. Um, and it helps the local communities, uh, also helps us, um, helps differentiate us from our competitors that are, you know, owned by companies that are overseas that can't, you know, get that nitty gritty into all of those local communities and, and source the kind of product that we can. Can you talk about some of the local farms that, that you buy from? Yeah, I actually, to be honest, I'm out, I've been out of the stores now for a year and a half, so I'm quite embarrassed that I can't, I don't want to say one if they're not, you know, we're not actually partnering with them anymore. Um, but um, I know that there are lots of, of local ones that even, you know, drive down Route 9, um, you know, some of the farms down there. Um, 
But yeah, I'm not going to name one just in the off chance that they're not yeah, actually they're not working there. with oh, them. I didn't mean to put you on the spot. Not at there. all, not at all. But uh, but that's that, that's okay. Well, what that was you? Brian Adams' segment, <laughs> <laughs> and we're off. <laughs> so it, yeah, but it is important to support local farmers, and I and I know it must be challenging for you as you know with 71 stores is you have to have a reliable amount of food coming in. You got to know the farmers, so that farmers have to be big enough, I imagine, to have a bulk that they can continually supply to you at least seasonally um but it's really exciting when strawberries are in strawberries are there when you know what what are we coming up to i guess asparagus is probably the next big local crop yep. that will be coming and it's really really great to to uh to make sure that local farms are represented um i want to change the subject very quickly and just give a shout out to um grocery stores and particularly grocery store workers during the pandemic one thing that I really learned from COVID and from the pandemic is this sort of redefinition for me of what essential workers are. And the essential workers really are the ones that, that grow the food, harvest the food, get the food to grocery stores, and then the grocery store workers sell it to us. Mm. So a big thank you out there um, to all the grocery stores for keeping the food supply going. Because what would we have done if, they, if that had been shut down. And I think Big Y, to my knowledge, did a pretty good job in trying to protect your workers, keep them safe from COVID, but understand that, my golly, they were essential to be out there. Any thoughts on that? Yeah, thank you for recognizing that. I know during the pandemic, we we got a lot of great recognition from customers, you know, um, just just telling us that they were grateful and kind of seeing that this is something we're putting our ourselves in, you know, danger with this pandemic to, to feed people. Um, so it really is such an important thing to remember that our employees, our, our people are our secret sauce. They're the, they're the reason that people come to Big Y. Um, and they work so hard and, you know, deserve all that recognition. Um, so it is, it is nice to hear that feedback from the other end, from the customers of, of, you know, seeing that they appreciate what we do. And uh, yeah, and I, and I certainly appreciate the fact that that workers were putting themselves out on the line there to get food to us in a time of real craziness and zaniness. Yeah. I mean, think back now. Did that really happen? Did scary th- times. Scary yeah. times. Did COVID really, really happen? And boy, those first few months. Um, I want to talk a little bit about how the stores, your 71 stores throughout Massachusetts and Connecticut, uh, can be more can be as efficient as possible. I mean, you look at the you go into a grocery store and it's my goodness, look at all the refrigeration and the freezers and the lights and the energy to heat the building. I mean, that's a huge amount of 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 a, a huge carbon footprint. Um, I know you've been remodeling some of the stores, and as you remodel, what happens? What what are some of the initiatives you're trying to do to to save energy to be more efficient? in the in the building itself yeah yeah you definitely hit the nail on the head as an industry you know grocery retail has has a big carbon footprint um it's necessary it's kind of an inevitability that we're going to need to have refrigeration in our stores we're going to need to um, have registers and and lighting and you know just it requires a lot of power to you know fuel our stores um so when we do remodels and we, you know, look at building new stores, we're always trying to think of what is the most efficient way 
that we can do this? What is the way that we can minimize that carbon footprint? Um, it's a very complex business. There's a lot of um, components to what we do. A lot, you know, you could look at supply chain, distribution, packaging, um, energy, uh, waste diversion, all of those different components, um, looking at how we can, you know, minimize or offset some of that carbon footprint. Um, but when we look at building new stores, um, everything from new refriger- refrigerant systems, um, you know, solar arrays on stores, um, you know, just the all of the machinery, the energy-efficient um, motors um, and coolers, just all sorts of different things. There's a lot of innovation, fortunately, that we can take advantage of um, and and leverage in order to improve how we're doing. And if, oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, go ahead. Well, I, I'm changing the subject a little bit, um, Maggie Damore. I There was an uh, article in The Globe this morning about um, – was particularly about the guacamole we're all going to have during Super Bowl, and it talked about how avocados, that there's very little difference between organic avocados and conventional avocados, and it talked about a child, actually, was uh, elucidating in a video on the globe how you look at the PCU, the product code, whatever that's called, that we, and if you remove the nine, then it's not, 94101 would be, Organic, and if just 4101 would be non-organic. My question really is, when you're dealing with local farmers, is Big Y seeking organic, or does it just ask the farmer what does it want? Is there some balance between organic and non-organic in terms of what Big Y will or won't buy locally? Well, first of all, I think we need to hire you as a cashier because you've already got that PLU uh, lookup number Buzz down. As a cashier. There <laughs> yeah. you go. Oh my goodness. Actually, maybe a bagger. <laughs> yeah. Maybe you don't want to do This that. is we'll so tempting. It. It's so tempting to have a comment or two on this. I was a bagger. I was a grocery store bagger at the Navy Commissary in Annapolis. Oh, I love that. Yeah. I knew okay, it. sorry, yeah. Maggie. Organic and yeah. versus inorganic. No, it's a great question. Um, yeah, I think it's um, I, more and more customers are wanting to shop organic nowadays. Um, so we look to have as much assortment as possible. Um, the more of it that we can procure locally, the better. Um, it's it's a challenging thing because, um, you know, combating uh, pests and, and, you know, other uh, environmental impacts, a lot of times, you know, it's hard to, to have provide an organic product that's going to be comparable, but um, it's something our customers are looking for, and we really try to offer what we so can. So you actually ask the farmer, can you do an organic, whatever, squash um, for us? Is that the first line of inquiry? I'm sure that those conversations are had between the produce buyers and the, the farmers. I'm not I'm not sure exactly if it would ever be sort of a, a prerequisite or requirement that we would want them to, but I think the more that... The more we can get local, the better. So if it's something that we um, we we need or want to have that local or that organic um, product, you know, if we can get it locally, we will. So I'm sure that those conversations are being had. And I've I've always thought that that at least for me, I would rather buy something local that was not organic than non-local that was organic if it's the same product. Because I think if you look at the carbon footprint, if it's organic and it's coming from Chile or California, and it's inorganic, and it's coming from Sunderland or Waitley. I'm going to stick with the with the local stuff. It's a it's an interesting conversation. Bill, I, I have a question. It's a slightly 
slight turn of the kaleidoscope on the questions that Brian Adams has been asking you and Buzz too, and that is about the markups on product. Because something's being imported from Chile, it's going to have an entire cost of transportation. And what I'd like to know is whether the markup on local products is comparable to the markups for non-local products. And in particular, because my understanding is that the markup for food is actually tiny. It's like a 1% margin. So tell us about that if you could. Yeah, I wish I wish I had one of our, our produce buyers here who could weigh in on kind of that specifics on what those markups are because logically everything you said makes you know perfect sense that it you know to truck it all the way from California or Mexico is going to cost a lot more than getting it locally. Um, I think sometimes the the suppliers from those areas in California, which you know grow oranges or whatever it might be, they are really big um, organizations. Massive numbers. Yeah, yeah, it's tonnage. So they're they're trucking, you know, entire tractor trailers full of strawberries or whatever it might be, um, and they're selling to a lot of different areas. So, um, yeah, I think the volume can kind of offset that. Um, and that, yeah, it makes me crazy to think that an apple from Chile costs less than an apple from, you know, Waitley. I know. It's like, well, how how is that possible? And I'd rather pay more and get local and then pay less and get something where I don't know where it's coming from. We're talking with Maggie Damore. She's one of the Damores of Big Y fame. Uh, 71 grocery stores throughout Massachusetts and Connecticut. Maggie is the Senior Manager of Environmental, Social, and Governance at Big Y. And I have a new aspiration, which is to go swimming in a tractor trailer full of strawberries. And you have a new aspiration, which is to bag groceries. <laughs> <laughs> I'm well suited for that. We'll be right back with Maggie Demore and Brian Adams. I'm sitting over here on Parchment Farm. Ain't never done no man no harm. Black from that kind and live for sex. You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg. You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg, WHMP. And we are back talking about something that all of us should be really mindful of, which is the food that we eat, how sustainably is that distribu- distribution happening and how do we support our local agriculture? Brian and, Adams. And and the choices that we make every time we walk into a grocery store are really important. And during the break, Bill was talking about um, this idea of freshness. Uh, and when you buy local, you pretty much know or hope that that product was picked that morning. If you go like so when strawberries come in in June, you're going to the market you're getting strawberries, and you know if it's locally grown, it was those workers were out at five, six in the morning picking that stuff. You buy from California, you buy from Chile. You, it it can't be picked that morning, physically. So again, it's just back to this emphasis and excitement about local food. Uh, Maggie, Maggie Demore. Yeah, yeah. Um, I completely agree with you. It's, uh, I had an uncle up in New Hampshire. He managed a, a lumber mill up there and he gave me uh, one rule when I was a, a hiring manager in one of our stores. Um, he said, if someone worked on a farm, hire them immediately because 
it, you can work them six days in a row and they'll thank you for the day off. Um, and I always found that, not that we, you know, try to put that on, in practice. On thin ice. <laughs> <laughs> not that we put that in practice, but we, you know, we feel like people who worked on farms, I, it, you know, they just have this work ethic where they will wake up at five in the morning and get the, the, the crop out. It's a very time sensitive, um, you know, job that when the product's ready, it needs to be harvested. So, um, yeah, it's, it's an interesting point that that can happen so quickly, you know, when product comes locally, it's like literally picked that morning and then it's in our stores in the afternoon. And I think it's important as consumers, again, that we walk into grocery stores and we have so many choices and you go into, into any big grocery store and it's like, you can get anything you want from anywhere at any time. And if you're buying corn on the cob now, it's not coming from our Massachusetts farms. It just isn't. And trying to um, think about what we eat uh, and what is in season at that time, I think are really important decisions that consumers make. Bill. Um, I'd like to ask you, uh, Maggie Damore, and this really comes from a cartoon I saw in The New Yorker, I think, uh, last week or the week before, and it it had one pane of the cartoon and it was bananas. And next to it were the kind of dead bananas. And it said, well, we've renamed them. This is now called Banana Bread Starter Kit. Uh, (laughs) How do you know how much to buy and how quickly you can turn that product over so that it is fresh? Yeah, it's a great question. It's one of the big challenges, you know, in our industry is food is very perishable. And so... um, you know, it's and I think you mentioned it earlier. I'm impressed you knew. You know, it's very thin profit margins, so um, we really have to sell a lot of product in order to be, you know, make any sort of profit. So, um, in order to make, you know, sell, if you want to sell 50 apple pies, you have to bake 70. You know, if you only bake 50 apple pies, you're only going to sell probably 30 or 40. Um, so it's really kind of trying to gauge what's that minimum amount of, we call it shrink in the business, um, which is product that we end up not selling that we unfortunately have to, to divert, which ends up going to uh, be donated, hopefully, if it's still edible, salvageable. Um, that's our first priority. And then our next priority would be to divert it at least away from the landfill, which is through composting or anaerobic digestion, which is um, turning it into renewable energy. Um, so, but yes, it's very hard to make those decisions. Fortunately, our sales people, our buyers are very skilled at kind of knowing, um, what, how much product to procure for the chain. And then we have very skilled department managers who are very skilled at knowing how much for their own store and their own department. Uh, it must be just a real, real skill to, to know, but let's get back to um, Bill's question. So you got the bananas that are ripe and, or riping. Uh, riping? <laughs> Ripening. That's it. Um, and you got the bananas that are mush. What do you do with the food waste? T- t- tell us a little more about this diversion, you call it, out of the landfill and into what again? Yeah, so we have a few different um, you know, processes. The, the EPA, Environmental Protection Agency, has a, a food hierarchy for f- uh, food diversion or food waste. So essentially the first thing you want to do is not create it in the first place. So it's source reduction. So trying to make those intelligent ordering decisions and, and 
production decisions not to have excessive amounts of waste. The next highest priority is to give it to people. So if there's people that can eat it, we donate to local shelters, food banks. Um, uh, the Northampton Survival Center, I know, gets a lot yeah. of the local um, Big Y food. Yep, yep. So we try to identify whether it's still edible. Um, and then next after that would be animal feed, so giving it to farms that you know can, can use it for animal feed, um, composting, or anaerobic digestion. So we have all, all three of those, composting, anaerobic digestion, and animal feed that we divert our food to if it's not consumable. Um, Bill's dead bananas are tomorrow's bacon, right? If I could just follow for one second, I'd love to know this. You've got to sell it, the bananas, quickly. You only have so many days. They come into the store, you've got so many days, and if they're still around, you've got to discount them wildly, I would assume, because you want them to move before they are not uh, fresh enough to sell to people, right? I mean, you've got to move in this business. Yeah, yeah, we we do try to, you know, mark things down if we, if we can. Things like bananas are already... Um, low price as it is. So it's hard to incentivize people through a markdown. So um, we typically just, you know, try to push out as many bananas as we can and, and make sure that we're rotating our product properly to have fresh bananas out there. Um, inevitably, there will always be shrink in this business. There's always going to be some bananas that that we can't sell, but um, keeping it out of the landfill is the most important priority for us. And the focus has really been on bananas. My wife loves the um the, not the ripening ones, but the ripened ones, the mm. brown and the and the bush. Like, yeah, a dead <laughs> banana. So, um, <laughs> shout out to my wife, Maury. Um, Hi, Maury. Divert, divert all <laughs> of the dead bananas uh, to her. Um, we don't have too much time left, but one thing I've noticed in the last few years is the rise or growth in uh, plant-based alternatives to to meat production. And one of the things we as consumers can do to really make a difference terms of climate change and sustainability is to divert our our diets uh, from meat to plant-based stuff. Um, and I was thinking Beyond Beef is one of the new products that's really hit big time. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, yeah. It's definitely a growing category of, you know, people that are looking for, for more plant-based products. Um, you know, one of the things that's a, a challenge in our, our industry along with, you know, low um, small profit margins and things of that nature. It's also, um, wow, I just totally lost my... Keeping up on the trends. Oh, yes, yes, yes. So it's a highly competitive yeah. business. Thank you. Um, very, you know, there's a lot of options for people. There's Stop and Shop, there's, you know, Whole Foods, there's Walmart. There's all these different options for people to go to. So um, there are products that, you know, we do need to cater to, to people who, you know, at this point, you know, are not choosing a plant-based lifestyle. But it is, I agree with you that it is a, a growing trend. And it is something that as a society, we should try to kind of migrate in that direction. So the more that we can source product and offer options to people to help encourage that, the better. I have one really quick question. Where does the fish come from? Where do you buy that? That has to be talk about concerns about freshness huge sustainability issues around fish and, yeah and how to source sustainably yeah yeah we have some great um seafood partners um uh and we try to source as locally as possible i remember this story where i was in um one of the stores when i was a store manager 
And we had a lobster that came in, which was called an egger. So it had, you know, it was a female pregnant lobster that had thousands of eggs um, under its belly. And my seafood clerk happened to notice that she picked it up and said, what is this? And we contacted the sales office and said, what? What do we do with this? So it's a big no-no to, to actually fish those, and they don't want to overfish the, the lobsters. So long story short, our seafood partner sent us down a prepaid FedEx box that was insulated with ice, you know, dry ice. We put the lobster in there. They sealed, you know, sealed it up, sent it in the mail. The next afternoon, we got a, a video message from the lobsterman on his boat up in Maine and said, hey, this is... So-and-so up in Maine, we're putting your lobster back in the ocean. And <laughs> it was just a really cool story to, to, to see, um, you know, thousands of baby lobsters thanks to you guys. So it was, it was cool. You, sh- you should have fed it some melted butter. No, but, um, <laughs> unripe bananas. No, 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 ripe bananas. You know, there's bananas. one question, Brian Adams, that you, the big question you didn't ask of Maggie Dumore, who does sustainability for Big Y, you should have asked her as to sustainability Big Y. Oh, golly. Oh, my God. <laughs> yes, we're waiting for that pun, and of course... I'm so sorry. My dad would be proud of your, uh, your dad you joke there. Uh, Maggie Demore <laughs> <laughs> is a senior manager of environmental, social, and governance uh, at Big Y Grocery Stores, 71 grocery stores, and uh, just want to push this sustainability theme. Maggie, thanks for the work that you do, and hope that you do even more in getting... That's sustainability to the forefront of everything that is done at Big Y. Here, here. Thank you, Maggie. Thank you for being with us today. Yeah, thank you for having me. We're going to be right back with Dust Up with Dusty Christensen, the investigative reporter. Daylight come and me want go home. Work all night and a drink a rum. Daylight come and me want This is Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg. 